so glad to be with you. What a great morning as we gather in worship. And it is World Communion Sunday, and in a moment we're going to partake in the Lord's Supper together. But we need to be reminded of why. Why we gather. You know, it's so easy uh, to get into the midst of a routine, to get into a rut, to get into a rhythm. Uh, Perhaps some of us have been followers of Christ for decades. And we might forget the significance, the life-shattering truth of what this is all about. Maybe some of us who are newer to church don't know what this is all about, and we kind of see what other people do, and we kind of follow people in line and do what they do, and, oh, that's kind of nice, it feels good. Well, we need the reminder of why we gather, because if we forget why we gather, then this just becomes a non-filling snack frankly. It's, it's bread and grape juice. Without Jesus, this is really, it's, it's nothing. It's meaningless. So, let's go to God's Word and find out. If you have your Bibles, why don't we open those up to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. If you have your pew Bibles, it's that red book in front of you. You're welcome to grab that. If you have a mobile device or if you brought your own, we're going to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It's on page 933, I believe, in our pew Bible. If you're joining us online, I'm reading through the New Revised Standard Version. I'm going to read a longer section of Scripture. This is verses 18 all the way to the end of the chapter, verse 34. And boy, the Corinthian church was a mess. And so Paul writes this because, oh, they had forgotten what this was all about, the Lord's Supper. And he says this, such good words for us today. Verse 18, for to begin with, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and to some extent I believe it. Indeed, there have to be factions among you, for only so will it become clear who among you are genuine. When you come together, it is not really to eat the Lord's Supper, for when the time comes to eat, each of you goes ahead with your own supper, and one goes hungry, and another becomes drunk. What? Do you not have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you show contempt for the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I commend you? In this matter, I do not commend you. For I received from the Lord what I also had it on to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be answerable for the body and blood of the Lord. Examine yourselves and only then eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For all who eat and drink without discerning the body, eat and drink judgment against themselves. For this reason, many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If you are hungry, eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for your condemnation. About the other things, I will give instructions when I come. This, my friends, concludes the reading of God's Word. 
All right, so this first century town of Corinth had taken something that was supposed to be the centerpiece, the hallmark, the, 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 the hinge on which their community was built upon, and they had distorted it, and it became something completely different than what Jesus intended. It was all about themselves. And in the early church, people would actually bring food. And I love this image that's given in the book of Acts. It says that everyone gave so that no one had need. Now, this isn't socialism. This isn't about everybody having the same thing. This is about everyone giving and seeing the needs of others so that no one, no one had need. But what happened was is people were bringing food. Some would bring more, some would bring less. And there was this actually an issue of classism and segregation and division within the community because some people would actually eat all this food so much so that they would fill themselves up. Some would get drunk even and they would leave having experienced all of this before anyone else had even had a bite. It was so distorted. There was the complete opposite of everyone gave so that no one had need. It was that this experience had been absolutely the opposite of what Jesus intended. It's so easy for us to see this moment before we go to the Lord's table, and we might fall into a different pattern, but it, it's all about us. Oh, I just need this for me. I need this to be reminded for me, and miss the fact that we do so in community. Well, the Apostle Paul reminds us how we can know why we do this, and he does so by doing this. He makes us look back in time. He makes us look towards the future, and it radically changes our present. You see, the Lord's Supper does something that Marty McFly from Back to the Future can't do. It's actually able to go back in time in such a significant way and actually go into the future in such a significant way that it actually radically changes the present no matter what your circumstances are in life. I don't know what you're going through. I know what I'm going through, and some days I don't even know what I'm going through. It's so overwhelming where I can't even keep up with things, it seems like. And every single one of you, we bring things to this moment, in this present moment that we're dealing with, that we're struggling with, things that we're excited about, things that we're terrified about. Well, Jesus reminds us that your present can be radically changed, that how you understand your present circumstances can be radically changed when you understand what this is all about. So Paul, he says, let's, let's go back in time. In fact, every time we do so, we are connected with the past. Paul says, remember, Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. Now, you've got to know, though, that this moment in time where Jesus was at a table surrounded by his disciples, the night he was betrayed by Judas, the night before he went to the cross, that meal was actually a very significant annual meal for the nation of Israel. In fact, if you look at Scripture, it clearly says that this was a Passover meal. Now, our Jewish friends, our neighbors, maybe even some of you, you participate, you enjoy, you celebrate, you remember a Passover Seder year after year. And that is the context for this meal. And understand this meal, you've got to even go further back in time, all the way to the book of Exodus, where we clearly see this amazing moment in God's saving grace. 
Many of you, you might know the story. You might think of Charlton Heston, the Ten Commandments. Maybe some of you think of the Prince of Egypt, the, 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 the video version, the cartoon version. But Scripture says and speaks to this moment where God's people, the nation of Israel, had been slaved for 430 years. And God hears their cry and wants to set them free. He wants to set them free for a purpose, to be a blessed people, to be a blessing for all nations. He wants to be true to the covenant that he spoke through Abram many, many, many generations before that. And so what did God do? He uses a man named Moses who had a stuttering problem, who wasn't perfect, who didn't have it all together. And what a great reminder that God uses people that are imperfect for his purposes. And if you think you don't have it together, God says, perfect, I can use you. The moment you think you have it together, God says, okay, I'll wait until you realize that you're not perfect, then I'll, then I'll use you. And he uses Moses, and amazing, I mean, you can read about it in the book of Exodus, where it builds to this climax where finally God says, okay, this is the last plague, this is the last straw, I want you to go and tell Pharaoh that the firstborn son in all the households is going to be killed tonight. And what's so amazing about this moment, it's easy to overlook but that night, at midnight, it says that an angel of death, this judgment comes, not just over the households of Egypt, not just of the oppressors, but this angel of death comes over every single household, including God's people. But, 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 God says to Moses, I want you to take a lamb, and I want you to sacrifice a lamb, and this will be a sign. You will take that lamb and you, and I know this is graphic and forgive me, but this is what scripture says, that you would take the blood of that lamb and you would literally smear it, you would wipe it, you would, you would spread it on the doorposts of your home. And therefore, when this angel of death comes, that any family that in a sense is under the protection of this sacrifice lamb, of this sign, of this symbol, of this, of this thing of trust then the angel of death will literally pass over that household. And so that night, in every single household, there was either a dead lamb or a dead son. And on that next morning, when the nation of Israel left in haste, they didn't have time to let the bread rise. Therefore, it is unleavened bread that that boy who woke up that next morning alive, that child would say, I'm alive because that lamb is dead. And Moses then said, as a remembrance, as a sign, as a thing that the community has to do every single year is to enjoy this meal together, this Passover meal, that you would have this unleavened bread. And year after year, and many of you have experienced that, many of you might experience that this year, where someone, a child typically will say, why, why? Is this night different than all the other nights? And there's usually a presider, something that presides over the Passover meal, and they will take the bread, they will lift it up, and they will say, this is the bread of our affliction, the bread that we ate in the wilderness. And Jesus on that night, he changed the words, the words that have been used for a thousand years. And he lift the bread up. And he didn't say, this is the bread of our affliction. He says, this is my body. In a sense, Jesus is saying, this is the bread of my affliction. 
He is taking the whole Exodus story, that a saving event, the one that had been rehearsed and practiced year after year after year after year, and he's taking all of that and he's saying, this is all about me. This has all been building to point to me. This has all been rehearsed year after year to point to me. Take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. And then he takes a cup and he changes the language. You see in the Seder meal, in the Passover meal, there were four cups. And he takes the cup. He says, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink and do so in remembrance of me. And what's so amazing is that we can look at that meal through Christ's body on the cross. That his body was broken, his body was given, his blood was shed, it was poured out on behalf. But, but there was something missing at that Passover meal. You see, every single Passover meal, and I love this, I actually love that sound up there, because it was an intergenerational meal. That there was kids running around the room. The kids were asking questions. Why is this night different than any other night? That they were sharing food and all this, but there was always a Passover lamb that was at the centerpiece, that was the main course, the main event of that meal. And then when we get to the Lord's Supper, in Scripture, in the New Testament, where Jesus gathers at the Passover, there's not one mention of a lamb. Why is that? Well, what's so interesting is that when John the Baptist sees Jesus for the first time, he says, behold, behold, look, look. It's the Lamb of God. He's the Lamb of God. He takes away the sins of the world. Some scholars say that Jesus celebrated the Passover meal one night too early. Some scholars believe that the next day was actually the day when the nation of Israel, this is a little controversial, but some people believe this, that the next day was actually the day of Passover. And that in the morning, when they were sacrificing the lambs throughout all of Jerusalem, for all the families, for all the Passover meals, it was at that moment that Jesus was going to the cross as the true Passover lamb, as the only one who can actually take away the sins of the world. Do you really think that a lamb, a little, little woolly, kind of furry little pet can actually do that? No. All of it pointed to Jesus, who sat at the meal as the presider, who sat at the table as the Lamb of God. And when you come forward and you partake, you are looking towards the past, not only at that moment, but you look back all the way through God's saving history, all the way to the Garden of Eden. We're the first humans, they, they sinned, they fall short of God's glory, they, they chose their way rather than God's way, they, they were ashamed, they covered themselves, and many of you, you might have overlooked this, but actually in Genesis 3 it says that then God covered them with the skins of animals. The first sacrifice in Scripture, we don't know what animal it was, I can't wait to ask God, but I wonder if it was a lamb. God reminds us that we can't cover our own mistakes. He has to cover them for us. And you see that woven history all the way that leads to the future, actually. This is the second part. When we come to the table, we not only look at the past, but we also look to the future. In fact, remember in Scripture, it says, open those Bibles back up. Go back there to 933, 1 Corinthians 11. 
before we go to the table, we've got to see how this also points to the future. Do you know that the word remember in the Hebrew language isn't just about recalling the past, it's also about remembering the future. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26, Jesus is saying, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. As Paul speaking, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's the future. And we see this great picture in the book of Revelation. Gosh, we see it in Isaiah. We see it in a number of places that the saving work that Christ started on the cross that he will bring to completion and fulfillment when he comes again. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, he forever saved all of us from the penalty of sin. He looks at you when you say yes to Jesus, he looks at you and says, you're not guilty. He takes your sin, he gives you his perfect record, he gives you his righteousness. He looks at you, there's no penalty anymore. You're saved, you're free. And then he gives us the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit dwells within us and actually sets us free from the power of sin. That's the present tense, that's what's going on. The, the, the fancy theological word is sanctification where we're being washed and renewed by the Holy Spirit, we become more and more like Christ. 2 Corinthians 3.18, you can see how we're becoming transformed more and more into the image of Christ. But one day in the future, when Christ comes again, what's He going to do? He's already set us free from the penalty of sin. The Holy Spirit is constantly setting us free from the power of sin. One day when Jesus comes again, He will set us free from the presence of sin. Sin and death will be no more. Book of Revelation says he will wipe away every tear from her eyes. There'll be no more violence, no more hatred, no more bullying, no more cancer, no more unemployment, no more cheating. That's a future reality. And when you come to the table, you're not only looking at what Jesus did on the past, you are looking ahead to what he's going to do in the future. And when you know that, when you take that in, and that's the amazing thing about the Lord's Supper, it's not that you see it or hear about it or touch it. You ingest it. You bring it into you. You're taking the truths of what Christ has done, and you're literally, you're bringing it into your life, into your relationships, into your marriages, into your parenting, into your workplaces, into everything that you are. You have to take it in. It's not just enough to look at it. My son takes forever to eat food. Did I just say that out loud? I mean, this morning, it took him an hour. I'm not exaggerating. It took him an hour to not even finish a slice of toast. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. He just, he won't do it. It takes him forever. It takes him forever. I left here to come today. He was still, I'm like, Judah, you gotta eat. And he's like, I know. I know I got to eat it. I'm like, Judah, you have to eat it. You need energy. I see how much you're running. He says, I know, I know. And that's what he says now. I know, I know, Dad. I know, Dad. And I'm like, you have to eat it. You have to eat it. You have to eat it. And, it, it, and it's, it's not getting through to him. He's four years old. <laughs> Am I getting a little too worked up over my four-year-old? It's, it, it's not getting through to him because I'm like, you have to, you have to, you have to. One day... It will dawn on him. He will come to the understanding. He will be mature enough to understand, oh, 
I should eat this. It gives me energy. And it tastes good. You see, so often it's easy to look at this meal and say, oh, I know, I know what Christ has done. Oh, I know, I know, I got it, 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 I got it. And I can't just sit up here and say, you should know, I'm telling you, you should. You got to know, you should, you got to know this changes everything. It's not until you come to a personal place where you begin to realize, oh, wait a second. Wait, are you saying that that Jesus is one day going to make everything right? Are, are you saying that the things that I hate about this world, like he's actually going to do something about it? And the addictions that I have in my life, like he wants to heal me from those things and he will, like he's actually going to do that? You see the word remember, again in the Hebrew language, it's so beautiful. I did my doctoral dissertation on this one word. That you don't just remember the past, but you remember the future because when God says it's going to happen, it's as if it already happened. In the same way that you woke up this morning, you remember what you did or did not have for breakfast because that actually happened. When God says he will do something, he is saying that from outside of time, so he's already done it. So therefore, in the book of Revelation, when it says that we get this picture, we get to see the Lamb of God. This is Jesus. And it describes Jesus as the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundations of the world. Before God said, let there be light. Before God created you and me, God knew, this is what I'm going to have to do. I'm going to have to pay the ultimate cost. I'm going to have to pay the ultimate price because that's how much he loves you. And when you understand that present and that future, it changes everything. It changes everything. It gives you hope. It gives you humility. It breaks down your pride. It gives you a confidence. It makes you realize that it, what a waste of time that I have to just think that this is all about me. To walk around with fear and anxiety that God's not going to do something unless I do it. That he, he's, Philippians 1, 6, Paul says, I'm confident that God who began a good work in you will carry it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. There's this great moment, let me end with this, in the Lord of the Rings. Oh, I love it. Read the books as a kid, I've seen the videos like a million times. There's this great scene where Pippin, you know Pippin, that character? If you haven't seen, imagine this little character. He's about to, about to die. He has no idea. He can't, he can't save himself. Enemy is just closing in. Yeah, I, 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 as a kid, I'm reading this, like, oh, Pippin's going to die. How could that happen, right? And all of a sudden, Pippin hears off in the distance. That's how I imagine it when I read it. That's the great thing about books. You can kind of imagine. And Pippin... All of a sudden, I mean, the enemy is still closing in. There's violence all around. The circumstances haven't changed. And Pippin knows rescue is coming. It was the cavalry. And he looks off and now can see what he just heard. 
The rescue is coming and the horses come coming in and the king comes riding in on a horse. And there's this huge battle and the king dies so that Pippin and others could be set free. And there was that moment hearing the sound of the trumpet where Pippin knew the future is coming and there's hope in the present, there's, there's joy in the present. And J.R.R. Tolkien writes, as that book goes on, that every time Pippin hears, or any horn for that matter, he's moved to tears because it reminds him of the sacrifice of the king, a living reminder of that great rescue. Do you know it says in Scripture that one day there will be a trumpet that will sound? And Jesus will come riding in, not on a donkey as he did in Jerusalem before he went to the cross. He will come riding in on a white stallion. And he will be called faithful and true. And he will set things right. And we will say, look, behold, the Lamb of God who took away my sin so God's judgment could pass over me that I as a child of God can say, I'm alive because a lamb is dead. Let's pray. God, would you remind us in this moment of what we are about to do, that the past, the future intersect in this present moment. You tell us that you are here, you are in our midst, that as we partake, as we eat, as we drink, that we are taking this truth into our life so that we can be sent out for your purposes. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you that you are the Lamb of God, the, the last and ultimate sacrifice. May we come to this table knowing that it's not because of what we've done, not despite what we've done, but because you've already done it all. May we receive that open invitation from you to take in the beauty, the power of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.